Hello, my name is Kevin Christie and this is Weekend Bigots. As a journalist with more than 14 years experience, I've decided that the time has come to examine the thorny issue of sectarianism in Scottish football. To gain a deeper understanding, I'm going to interview a variety of people who have been involved in the sharp end of the game in this country. And they'll say to you, it's almost like they're brainwashing you. Well, how catchy the music is, how much the beat is, and everyone's around you, and you do just feel a part of something. But back in those days, they were just, well, to us, they were just Ranger songs. And the fans that are there, it's alive and in their conscience all the time. They are, the Catholic Protestant thing is, is very alive and well, unfortunately, in Scotland. And you just have to go to any Celtic Rangers match to, to see that. Well, pe- people would chant IRA songs at football matches, but they wouldn't have a clue what the IRA actually is or who they really were or what the history of Ireland was. It was kind of, when you look back now, you think they were just dafties because they were shouting about stuff they knew nothing about. In the six-part documentary series, we'll look at the issue from the late 60s and early 70s right through to the present day. For this episode, we welcome former Scotland manager Craig Brown, who is the last man to take the national team to a major tournament. Craig provides us with a fascinating insight into how sectarianism was something he always felt aware of when picking a Scotland team. How you order the two teams, if you say Celtic and Rangers, ah, he's a Celtic man. If you say Rangers and Celtic, ah, he's a Rangers fan. So I, I was consciously alternating the names of the teams, or, or I would say the old firm, because, you know, they, they, they latch on to not just the media, but the public, certainly, they latch on to your preference. And talks about his days as a professional player, school teacher and manager at the highest level. He also relives the nightmare of being accused of bigotry himself by the now defunct News of the World and the subsequent legal proceedings as he battled to clear his name. So it's over to Craig. We'll just crack on, Craig. Just tell me, I mean, growing up, you signed for Rangers as a youngster. I take it you were a Rangers supporter as a boy. Just what, what it was like growing up through the West uh, at that time, you know, with, with Celtic and Rangers. You know, I've got to point out that I grew up unaware of any antagonism between the two Glasgow, big Glasgow clubs. I was started school in Troon, and in fact, uh, there was no sectarianism there at all. In fact, both religions went to the same school, Mar College School, and uh, there was no separate school at that time. But then I moved to Hamilton to live in Hamilton and became aware of the difference between the the Catholic school and the Protestant school or the non-Catholic school. And in fact, when I played at school, the major rivals, I was playing for Hamilton Academy, and the major rival was Our Ladies High School in Motherwell. And their main player was Billy McNeil. And Billy and I both played in the Scottish School Boys International team under 18. But he was Our Ladies High School and I was Hamilton. And there was quite a rivalry there. You know, I, I must say it wasn't a sectarian rivalry really. But, uh, you know, it added a little spice to the match between the two schools. And you said I grew up a Rangers supporter. That, that there is nothing further from the truth because my father would not allow us to support any team other than the home team, the hometown team. So I was a Hamilton Aikis fan as a boy. I was a ball boy there. And I was brought up uh, in Hamilton, you know, to be very neutral in terms of sectarianism. In fact, there was a dislike of both the bigger clubs, the old firm clubs, and it was a sort of a giant killing act when they came to play at Hamilton, who were in the same league at the time. So I was actually, as a boy, training at Celtic with Billy, and we got the same bus. He got on the bus at Motherwell, 
the 64 New Mains bus and I got on at Hamilton and we trained and Jock Steen took us for training. He was the youth coach of Celtic at the time. Now I'm talking 100 years ago. <laughs> I'm talking 1957. 57, yeah. So it tells you how old I am. But Billy and I trained with Celtic and he had only one club in his mind and was he wanted to sign for no one other than Celtic. The statue of Billy McNeil at Celtic Park celebrates something no British player had done before and few have done since. Captaining his team to the European Cup in 1967 ensured his place in history. I was quite open-minded and I must apologise and that I signed for Rangers purely for money because they were offering a lot of money as a young player to go there. And of course, with hindsight, it was most certainly a mistake. And when I went to Rangers, I found no, in the dressing room, no antagonism towards Celtic at all. There was no sectarianism, I can assure you, in that dressing room. In fact, the Rangers heroes of the time, guys like uh, Willie Henderson and Jim Baxter, were very friendly with Jimmy Johnston and Billy, Billy McNeil and people like that. Of course, I was very friendly with Billy. So in the dressing room, there was no antagonism. But I found it certainly <laughs> amongst the supporters in fact, I, I didn't even, I knew no better when I went to a Rangers match early after I'd signed and I put on my umbrella to walk from the Albion car park to the stadium. It was pouring and there was some green in my umbrella and I didn't realise that. And the guy grabbed it and threw it in the ground. What are you doing with that green umbrella? You know, now I thought, what's all this about? And that was a rude awakening for me that you don't have any green in your umbrella if you're a, a Rangers, or if you went into the main stand at Ibrox, the, the main door. So I learned quite quickly that there was <laughs> an issue there. Uh, and of course, you know, I became more aware of the issue as time progressed. I'd, I'd like to ask you, Craig, was there awareness amongst the players that Catholics didn't sign for Rangers? And you mentioned Billy McNeil there. He would want to sign. It'd be like the Catholic boys wanted to play for Celtic anyway, but... That's right. Billy wanted to play for Celtic and Celtic only. I remember that. You know, he was so uh, keen to play for Celtic. And I don't think it was a religious thing. It was just that that was the ambition of the Catholic boy players. They wanted to sign for Celtic. I think that was quite understandable. That was always used as a, well, I suppose an excuse, if you like, for the years that Rangers never signed a Catholic player. It was like, oh, they wouldn't want to play for us anyway. But I suppose there, there is an element of truth in that, although it's not excusable. I think maybe the player himself, you know, might, but his pals and his family may be quite very much against it. And of course, you know the, the well-known story that Sir Alec Ferguson was at Rangers, but he married a Catholic lady, Cathy. And of course, he thinks, I, I, I'm maybe putting words into his mouth, but there was a feeling that that was the reason why he didn't progress as a Rangers player, as he might have done. He might have stayed longer and been more regularly accepted in the team. Exactly two minutes after Alex Ferguson. Smith goes to Matheson. Ferguson's there! Now that's hearsay, but I definitely know that, you know, Cathy was a Catholic and Alec was not. And therefore, I think there's one or two people at Ibrox made uh, noises about it that Alec disliked. And therefore he, he left to go elsewhere. You certainly never saw that in the dressing room. And then you went to Dundee. Was there any sort of banter, Catholics v Protestants? Was there any 
element of sectarianism in Dundee? Because I know there's a little bit with Dundee, Dundee United being perceived. Yeah, there's a slight bit, but I, I was unaware of it. You know, you, you, you don't know uh, in the dressing room. And in fact, I'll give you an example. I, I was accused, I'll go back to Dundee in a minute, but I was accused when I was a manager of Clyde after when I started in football management. I remember that uh, later on I was accused of being a bigot by the news of the world. And I took legal action against the news of the world and they had to print an apology. Because the first thing that uh, my lawyer discovered, and I didn't know this, the first five players I signed for Clyde were all Catholics. Now, I had no idea that they were all Catholics. You know, I, I signed Mark Flockerty, I signed Jerry McCabe, Pat Nevin, guys like that. And they were my first five signings. Now, uh, the News of the World had to put uh, an apology and offer an out-of-court settlement because I took action against the accusation. I was working with the national team at the time, and the headline was Brown was a bigot. Now, they were implying, not implying, they were stating that I picked uh, Rangers players in preference to Celtic players and uh, Protestant players in, in preference to Catholic players, which was absolute nonsense, of course. So they had to back down. Yeah, I mean, Paul, Paul McStay. <laughs> uh, well, Paul, exactly. Well, Paul, uh, you know, and like my first game, I, I dropped. I left Paul out of the team, and I didn't get down well. We were playing Italy, and I was looking for a man masker, and uh, I, I played Davy Bowman in Paul's position, and that, that maybe added fuel to the fire, but... Paul went to Mexico with Alec Ferguson on the Scotland squad in 1986 and played in the last game against Uruguay, enjoying the opportunity to amass valuable experience. What can he do? Oh, brilliant goal! Oh dear, that is super! It caps one of the finest midfield performances by a Scot I've seen in years. Despite a disappointing World Cup in Italy, Paul remained a committed and enthusiastic performer for his country. What? There was no, and, and I remember quite clearly when it was in the paper, Kenny Dalglish was the manager of Celtic and John Barnes was the coach down there. And Kenny phoned me and he said, come over here to the next Celtic game. And I sat up in the stand. John Barnes is down the door and I want you to sit beside me. And if one Celtic fan down there accuses you, we'll have them ejected. We'll have the stewards watching and they'll be right out and <laughs> by even maybe arrested, uh, Kenny said. And he was very supportive. And Peter Grant, when that story came in the paper, Peter phoned me. And Peter said to me, I'll be a witness for you in court. And I said, why is that, Peter? He said, because when I was head of the Catholics in Glasgow, he said, you picked me for the Scotland under-21 team, and there were four Rangers players and one Celtic player, and we were playing at Ibrox against Germany, and you made me captain. Here's Peter Grant for Celtic. The underside of the crossbar. And he said, there's no way. I didn't even remember that. I didn't know what he was talking about. But he recalled that he was honoured to be captain under 21s as the only Celtic player in the squad at the time. So, I mean, I had so much backing when there was an accusation that I was biased. As we departed from the hotel, some of the players were very noticeably relaxed, particularly those who weren't in the starting lineup. I'm not as nervous as the rest. I can relax on the bench. But others were slightly nervous. 
Kerry's fax message. There's one from the rugby team in Sydney in Australia. Very good. Very good in the line from Arthur Hasty. So brilliant. There's Gordon Strachan. Scottish Liberal Democrats. Of course, we've got the SNP and the Prime Minister as well yesterday. And uh, of course, many of my best pals were uh, were of the other religion, and you know one of them very well. And I would like to consider him to be a best friend of mine. Uh, uh, Terry Christie, your dad, was outstandingly friendly, and uh, when we could do sectarianism, my best pal as a student was from Ghana, and he was black. Mike Maxwell Simpy was his name. So, arguably, my best friend as a as a PE student at Jordan Hill was Mike Simpy. And I was really close to Mike, and uh, you couldn't get one an individual with a blacker skin. <laughs> so, you know, I'm I'm pleading innocence here in terms of any accusation of uh, sectarianism, but I'm not I'm not denying that it exists. Did you get stick from when the News of the World were look, looking to touch you up with that? Yes, I got quite a lot of uh, abuse. Well, the the headline, you know, on the front page, I was a bigot. There was something else as well, which I, I'm not going down that road, but uh, no, I was actually, they, they called me and they had to backtrack. They called me a bigot and a love cheat, right? And of course, the lads in the Tartan Army say, you don't get in the Tartan Army unless you're a love cheat. <laughs> 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 and uh, they liked that, but uh, you know, that doesn't get you the sack. That's not a condemnation, being a love cheat. But being a bigot is, and you, you would lose your job justifiably. If you're a Scotland manager and you're a bigot, you deserve to lose your job because you cannot possibly do it properly if you've got any bias like that. But uh, they had to. I've got the apology and you know, they apologised twice for two reasons. One, uh, my solicitor said the apology is unacceptable because there's no photograph to support it and it's not on a right-hand page. And I was unaware, you you know as a journalist, that the right-hand page seems to be read more regularly than most. Yes, as you open the paper, it's the natural where your eye goes. Yeah, well, if you're advertising, it costs you more to advertise, I think, in a right-hand page. And I learned that anyway, because the apology, the initial apology, when they backed down, said that they, they apologised and they denied the accusation that I was a bigot. And it wasn't on, it was on the left-hand page, so much list, and there was no photograph. So, rightly, my lawyer insisted that they put another apology in, and they had to put it on the right-hand page and include a photograph. So, you know, there is an issue, clearly. And unfortunately, and sadly, it still lingers. You know, we can use it in a jocular fashion, as I did, you know, when I was picking teams for a, a training match with the Scottish squad. You know, I would look for various criteria for selection and I would look for, you know, the the old ones against the young ones, you know, the married men against the single ones. I would pick the ones who had lost their driving license, which is still caught in. <laughs> you know, I would, I would pick uh, the old... We, we could have an old firm team to play the rest. We could have the Anglos to play the rest. And then one time I risked it, uh, you know, I thought, well, we'll play the... The Catholic boys against, well, I, I didn't know who was what, quite honestly, and it was quite a difficult one, but the lads, they joked about it, and they knew, and of course, they, they were kicking lumps out of each other in, in a most friendly, amicable fashion. They weren't, it wasn't bitter, but, you know, we, we played that as well, so Andy Roxford was the manager, I was doing the training, and Andy said, you can't do that, you can't put, but I said, well, I'm going to do another one. 
for you, for your benefit, Andy, says, what's that? I said, I'm going to play the good-looking team against the ugly team. <laughs> and I think I made him the manager of the ugly team. Proud Andy Rock's brand new team. They've done us proud. Fair enough. Cost the recover. We're unlucky. But uh, they've done us proud in the other two games. And for Andy Roxburgh, time to reflect on his World Cup campaign. Yeah, well, no one said life was fair. And uh, sometimes uh, you have to take the blows. And it was... I mean, let's be honest, I mean, we, we lost to a better side. I mean, the Brazilians have got a bit of magic about them. Um, but we worked diligently throughout the game. We had to play in a very practical way, face up to reality. And it really was a cruel blow to lose out just at the death, as we did, particularly such a soft goal. But when I come back from that, that this is a side issue, when I come back from that, I was accosted by a lady at the airport. She said, you Craig Brown I said yeah why was my husband in the ugly team <laughs> I just wanted to ask you like take you back to your student days at Jordan Hill do you think that sectarianism there's a problem with like learned behaviour and obviously the segregation of schools just watch your thoughts on that well I think uh, you know I, as I say as a student I was unaware of the, the separation and I wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to tell you the boys who were not the same or who were Protestant boys or Catholic boys but I think uh, segregation of schools, in my opinion, I know that the Catholic boys, people feel it's uh, important because of the, the devotions that they do and the, uh, how can I put it, the chemistry in the school has got to be correct. Now, I don't think it's a good thing, and that's, I, I'm being perfectly honest there, I think if we were all brought together, it might be better. And of course, provision should be made for devotion, you know, of your own religion. But I I mean, I know I'll never win that one because uh, it's traditional and it's accepted that there is a divergence between the Catholic schools. And I want to say something quite surprising to you. I used to visit schools when I worked in the College of Education. And the, the how can I put it, it's a, it's a sweeping statement to me, but the demeanour, the atmosphere, the discipline in the Catholic schools, just this is a, a, a feeling I had was a bit better because they seemed to be a little, they had probably certainly in the primary schools that I visited, they had devotions regularly every day and there was a greater respect for the visitor. Now that's just a subjective assessment I've got, I can't really prove that, but it's just a feeling I had, I very much like to win and you know they would say, good morning Mr Brown, God bless you Mr Brown, and you were felt. You felt very warmly greeted. Yeah, it's, it's it's like they've learned that from an early age, the respect thing, and yeah, that's in, that's really interesting. That I mean, I don't want to be contentious here and cause a, a, a bit of trouble, but no, you know, I'm saying it that just it was a feeling, and it may be my, my imagination because they, they they said God bless you, and I mean, but I I just had the feeling the discipline was helped by the devotion and by the the stronger faith that seemed to appear to be apparent in these schools. Now, that's a sweeping statement, and it may be a rash one, but uh, I just had that, uh, I'll be honest with you, I just had that feeling. Totally appreciate your, your candour with that. I mean, that's... I, I very much like to go in to see a student's teaching in, in uh, Catholic schools. You knew that the discipline was good and the atmosphere was very, very 
I would think respectful. Craig, we're looking at an issue like weekend bigots. And what we mean by weekend bigots is these guys that go along, they have a drink, you know, maybe too much to drink, and they, they get involved in singing the songs and that kind of thing, maybe without thinking about what they're doing. Do you think that exists? Is that something that you would possibly recognise or...? Yeah, they're singing the songs. They don't even know what they mean. <laughs> you know, they, they sing the songs and, and, and they're sometimes quite abusive. And, you know, they just latch on to the others. I think maybe uh, maybe half a dozen in the supporters bus. It's amplified, yeah. They know the words and they start a song and then that, that, that means that 50 of them sing it in the supporters bus. So that 50 becomes 500 in the stadium, and then it becomes 5,000. You know, it just takes off. And, and they, I, honestly, I don't even think just uh, they seem to have a, a, a kind of ritual. That, and they tell me, I wonder how, for example, you know, there's some very imaginative songs <laughs> that they sing, some catches. I wonder how do they get these words so, uh, well, so many of them sing it. And they tell me that, you know, it starts in the supporters' bus. And, you know, a few guys, have a, a, maybe a, even a humorous one, and then it, it extends to the whole bus and then it extends to those in the environment in the, in the stadium. But, you know, I, I really don't know, but, you know, I think some of the songs are very good. I'm not talking about sectarian songs, but, you know, I remember Arsenal used to play Rangers in an annual match, and I remember I think Rangers and Tina, they come up to play, and Sammy Nelson, the full-back of Arsenal, had pulled his shorts down and bared his backside at Highbury. I remember that, yeah. Well, of course, the photos everywhere. Well, you can imagine they ran out to Ibrox on the Wednesday for this friendly centenary match, I think it was. And uh, the chant, I don't know, Sammy, Sammy, show your ass, Sammy, show your ass. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the whole place, you know, in unison, and you wonder where they get that. Maybe two or three guys would think up that one, but the whole stadium, you know, now, I think the same applies and I hear it at both old firm grounds. I hear it, and it, I think it's quite despicable some of the things that this, they sing, and, and it happens at both venues. I don't know how it's possible to eliminate it. I think you know the the clubs. There's a strict liability thing in Europe. Yeah, I know that. I think that's maybe the only, possibly the only way to to stop it. But uh, I don't really know. But <laughs> the, the other thing I would say in terms of my job when I was working, I was 16 years with the SFA now when I'm working with them and I picked number 21 teams and national teams and they ask you about them or they ask you about players you've got to be very careful how you order the two teams if you say Celtic and Rangers ah he's a Celtic fan if you say Rangers and Celtic ah he's a Rangers fan so I, I was consciously alternating the names of the teams or, or I would say the old firm because you know, they, they, they latch on to it. not just the media, but the public certainly they latch on to your preference. And if I if I were to say Rangers and Celtic players or Rangers and Celtic, say, oh, oh, he's obviously Rangers. Now, the important thing is to try to be, as, well, I was genuinely neutral, but the important thing is to confirm that by not giving any clues, just as I was 
sometimes accused when I was picking the goalkeeper. If I said the Leighton and Gorham, ah, you prefer Leighton. If I said Gorham and Leighton, you prefer Gorham. You know, and people uh, latch on to, I think, imaginary bias that you, you, you have if you're not careful in the way you, you, you list the things or the way you say them. Now, the current Scotland manager, Stevie Clark, he was embroiled in a row with old firm fans. I mean, that hasn't gone away. That's something that he's got to be conscious of in his job. Yeah, well, I think, you know, he's quite openly admits his religion. I never admitted it. I just let them assume what it was, you know. And I think they knew that because they just assumed because I was at Rangers, that I was uh, a Blue Nose, I was, I was a Rangers fan. I was not a Rangers fan, but I went there because it was a tremendous offer I got as, as a young boy. And I thought, well, at least I'll get a deposit in my house. <laughs> I wanted to ask, did you have Mo Johnston in the Scotland team around the time that he signed for Rangers then? Yes, yes, we had. We had the, Andy Roxwell was the manager at the time, and the, I was the assistant manager. Now, the assistant's quite often more involved in disciplinary matters you're you're closer to the players you can you can afford to be the manager can't afford to be too poly too close to the players but but I was very friendly with Mo I thought he was great and there was good banter at Rangers you know you can imagine his first they were they were training when he signed and they were over in, in Italy training I'm just trying to remember the name of the place but there they were and apparently when he came in it was all over the paper he'd signed for Rangers and he, he joined them in the pre-season training camp in Italy and McCoy got a table one table and one chair away in the corner of the room <laughs> and they put Johnson's name on it <laughs> and when, they, when he came in for his first meal with them you can imagine they all the players were all sitting at the same table there was Johnson's table in the corner <laughs> on his own but you know that's the kind of banter that goes on the good the good nature fun that goes on in football and I'm quite sure you know, he was a popular player at Rangers, Morris Johnson. Once he started banging them in, I would imagine, eh? Uh, exactly. Well, he, Johnson and McCoy were a formidable second uh, partnership and great pals. Oh, and Johnston picked out by McCoy. 2-0. Splendid goal. And Rangers on their way to wrapping it up in the first half. This is a tremendous finish. Alan McCoy's very aware. This is what striking partnerships are all about. Super run across from Mark Walters, clears away. And that's a magnificent finish from Maurice Johnson. An international class finish. And I must say, I got on very well with the Maurice Johnson. I did the, the other Rangers guys. And well, Graham Sooness is to be congratulated for getting rid of the bigotry that did exist in signing. Catholic boys, you know, and he was a man that, and he's a, a strong enough, big enough character to do that. Do you expect the attitude of the Celtic fans to be to this signing? My concern is Rangers Football Club. I came here to do the best for them. Um, I've made mistakes, will continue to make mistakes. Today I feel I've signed a great player for Rangers Football Club. And the attitude of the Rangers fans? I have, I have been supported, they have got behind this club from day one. And I don't expect, I expect it to be any different. We sign them more Johnson. I expect them to get behind them fully as well. A less powerful manager might have had a real problem doing that. But uh, because Graham Soonis had that aura and that authority, he could get away with it. He didn't get away with it with every Rangers fan, but it would have been more difficult for a, another Rangers manager to do that other than Soonis. 
And David, David Murray takes credit as well. Um, yes, he does. Uh, to try and break down the, the barrier. And, and, and it wasn't an imagined barrier. It was a, it was a genuine, it was this genuine, it still is, I've got to ashamedly admit that in Scottish football, it is a scourge, I think, the bigotry that still exists. Yeah, I think it's it's embarrassing. People are, it's embarrassing, but sometimes it's like if you lose that, do you take anything away from the game? You know, the, the tense atmosphere and... Well, I don't think so. I think, you know, you mentioned indeed there's a rivalry there, the local rivalry, there's a, there's a same in Edinburgh. And, they, you know... I was down in England and there's tremendous rivalry there between, you know, Derby County and Nottingham Forest, for example. You know, it's very, very <laughs> bitter rivalry there. And it's not a religious thing at all. And Everton and, and Liverpool, that's, there's no religious uh, impact there. It's uh, just uh, two clubs and uh, you're red or you're blue in, in Liverpool. But in Glasgow, you're green or you're, you're blue and it's, there is the connotation, you know, that there's a religious factor involved. Craig, thanks. I mean, that's been brilliant and really insightful. And thanks a lot for doing that. It's much appreciated. No problem. Cheers, bye. bye. Next week, Terry Christie and Tom Hendry will discuss sectarianism from their unique positions as former school teachers, professional footballers and managers. And when I applied for jobs in non-Catholic schools, the head teacher of the school uh, was distraught and told me, you have no idea what you're going into, Terry. You know, the Protestant schools, you're going into hell. You can download Weekend Bigots wherever you listen to your podcasts. But for exclusive, interactive, immersive content, download the NTL app for iOS and Android. If you like what you heard, please rate and review Weekend Bigots and help other listeners discover us too. This is a Laudable production for The Scotsman. You can find out more about Laudable and its other local podcasts by following us on social media. On Twitter, where we are, at Laudable Pods, and Instagram, by searching for Laudable underscore podcasts.